Welcome to The Drift, your resource on all things business strategy, entrepreneurship, and leadership. I'm your host, Aloiza, and today's guest is Executive Vice President and CFO of Beauty Health, Leanne Wu. She has acquired a wealth of knowledge in the retail sector through her experiences of leading financial teams at BB, Jamboree, Shark Ninja, and The Void, and now Leanne serves as a strategic thought leader in supporting the growth of publicly traded company Beauty Health, listed on the NASDAQ under skin. Welcome, Leanne. Hi, Alosa. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited for this. Likewise. Of course. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. Can you share with us a little background on yourself and what got you started? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I actually started my career on the consulting side, spent 13 years with Deloitte, mostly uh, M&A advisory services. And then, you know, once I became a mom, that lifestyle just wasn't as sustainable. So that's when I went to BB, which is a brand, you know, a lot of us, my age group are really familiar with. So spent six years there. I was a CFO there. It's a bit of a turnaround situation, which learned a ton. So after that, you know, didn't get enough of the turnaround, actually went deeper to restructuring. That's when I joined Jimbo Ray, really actually joined Alex Partners, helping Jimbo Ray went through their billion dollar restructuring turnaround plan. While I was there, I was approached by Shark Ninja. So that's probably my first taste of a hyper growth category creating business. And it was quite insane, but really, really enjoyed it. So spent a little bit over a year at Shark Ninja, had to move back to the West Coast. And I was approached by The Void, which is uh, another you know, hyper growth and category creating business in the virtual reality immersive experience space. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, and then last was approached by the beauty health company it was really hydrofacial before it went public and very much intrigued by another category creating situation, bridging the gap between beauty and health. So um, it's been an incredible journey to say the least. Absolutely. And there's so much that we definitely want to be able to unpack from that as well. You know, two main keywords that I called out from that was the concepts of growth and and strategic expansion. And there's this balancing act that entrepreneurs and executives truly have to play from getting to one growth stage to the next as you've experienced. And in your past, what do you have an expect a perspective on what leaders need to think about throughout their journey of growth and perhaps as they approach M&As and IPOs? Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it is interesting. You know, when I first approached Shark Ninja, I didn't necessarily understand the girl's mindset. It was a pretty hard-learned hard lesson, but very much important to shift the mindset from perfection, right? Best practices to what does that mean to be progress over perfection? You know, even at Shark Ninja, you are talking about a company already grow from nothing to close to 2 billion market cap in call it six years. So that's already a sizable business to grow. But even with that, because it's launching new product all the time, you have to have that muscle to be, you know, kind of hyper alert as a growth company. In that vein, the idea of breakthrough mindset it's critically important in the sense to really understand what is the outcome and building the team, not only with expertise, expertise is always important, but that mindset and alignment, it's 
actually even more important. I think that culture aspect of the type of personality these growth companies are hiring so they can go to the end of the earth and be able to really find a solution. And the fact that it's very much of a... Uh, you know, across the organization, everybody work together concept because the left hand has to know what the right hand's doing, especially in that growth stage, either being very early on and that, that rings very true. But even as the company expands, it still is really important, you know, to make sure that cross-functional muscle is there. It's a team sport, ultimately. It's very much, you know, a, a team sport for any given growth company. So if I say anything that's a bit of, shock value almost for me to kind of learn about the growth company. I think those are actually pretty crucial fundamentals companies have to keep in mind. Yeah, of course. You know, I, I loved your statement on this concept of building a team, not only with those functional technical expertise, but also just overall interpersonal alignment, alignment in the company's mission, their vision, the values, because essentially that type of personality and behavior isn't necessarily something that you can teach. Is that correct? That's correct. And it is, you know, it, it's interesting. I think it's a learning process for a lot of folks to actually feel comfortable to say, hey, this is maybe a little bit of a, against the grain. But the organization have to kind of own up to it, right? Like, for example, at Hydrofacial, there's very much of no BS, no diva, right? So that element is easy said than done. And I think each distinctive company, that personality to really own it and be able to be very clear, even in that whole recruiting process to say, here's our personality, we're winners, but it's not necessarily winner takes all, it's not necessarily cut throw because this is a team sport, right? So that kind of clarity on what does the company value is really, really important to emphasize. Yes, absolutely. And I completely agree. When we're thinking about global expansion, I know hyper growth is definitely a period that a lot of organizations hope to achieve. And it comes down to the notion of having this more of like sustainable practice, sustainable strategies to help them become a quote unquote category leader. What does this mean to you and the impact category leaders have on consumers and health and wellness? Yeah, no, I think that's a really critical question because we're actually living through that as we speak. You know, I think everything is about enrollment and communication because th there's no one you know, one thing fit all, right? Um, I think even, you know, as we expand globally, it depends on what geography that is. You actually are dealing with different consumer mindset and also different dynamic and mindset of your, you know, employees as well. So, you know, how do we keep a flexible mind to say, hey, we got to think global, but we got to act local. We have to give, a, a, you know, the healthy dose of autonomy, but at the same time, then the burden come back to communication, communication, communication. How do you over-communicate? I think the other thing that's critically important as we scale, yet you still don't want to lose, is this whole essence of challenge to be challenged. I think that radical candor is probably a term that's pretty overused, but at the end of the day, it's actually really important. That's why, you know, for any truly flat organization, there's encouragement of don't mind to fail, but at the same time, really communicate and push back to say, hey, just because corporate is doing it this way, doesn't mean apply to the region. And how do we, you know, kind of push and pull and really come up with the 
true solution that works for everybody. I think that to give the room to kind of push and pull, I think that's critically important. Because other than that, the reality is the execution is pretty consistent, right? Like you want to put in the right people process system. But even that, it sort of takes a village. The appreciation of how to make the sausage together, I think is actually equally important. Yes, absolutely. And it's more than having this like top-down approach of identifying and clarifying what the company's objectives and vision is. Ultimately, it's about identifying from the very beginning what are the strengths and opportunities from every single member of the organization, regardless of the level, because at the end of the day, it kind of goes back down to one of your initial thoughts is we're all on the same boat. We're all the same team or one team. And in order for us to win, quote unquote, win, whatever winning looks like to us, we have to be able to do it together. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's also what is the definition of winning, right? Because there's so many different kind of winning companies, right? So if we think about more of a mature company, you have the mindset of execute really well, you know, holistically. And and you, you kind of almost have that guaranteed uh, outcome based on historical experiences. That might or might not apply to a high, you know, kind of a category creating business because there's so much of what you don't know, right? It's all about how do you think about it differently and how do you truly think about it from a consumer's point of view? And I think even the consumer's mind shifts and changes. And again, if you look at a global company, you always have to debate about, do we want to ask what the consumer wants or do you actually want to deliver something that you believe that's really great for the consumer? And then how do you deploy it based on the different type of customer. So it's the 80-20 rule of you got to know the why. There's got to be the common thread of what the winning proposition is, and then you allow that flexibility. But then come kind of come back to the mindset of winning, right? So you can always bucketize to that three bucket. One is the execution pro- proven true. The other, you know, I kind of see a little bit of the winning at all costs, right? To some degrees, you know, it might be a little casserole, but if everybody aligned to it, that's still okay because then there's a competition and, and there's a different way of deploying it. But then I think the third category, especially for hydrofacial company as an example, to me make the most sense. There's the whole blue ocean idea of we don't necessarily have to do everything, you know, folks expect things to turn out. So how do you think about it from a first principles point of view to say, what is the outcome? Is there an easier way to get there? And then how do we refine it based on the, the circumstance? So how do you, you know, be a win, winning team together, uh, share the mindset, share the vision, share the essence of the why, but yet allow flexibility for execution? It's easy said than done, but it's when it's done well, you definitely see that force multipliers if it makes sense. Right, right. I mean, there's definitely a balancing act that the executives have to play when it comes to finding that that sweet spot of giving your team members the autonomy, but also giving them the confidence to be able to make the decisions in order for the company or the specific project that you're working on to be able to move forward. Yeah. No, I think what's really interesting, you look at companies like Shark Ninja or like Hydrofacial or even at the Void, we're trying to deploy this whole breakthrough mindset, right? How do you achieve the impossible? It does encourage that it doesn't matter what level, 
who takes the R? Like for hydrofacial, we always say who takes the R? Like who's responsible for it? If you raise your hand, it doesn't really matter what your official you know, role is. You own the project. You are the leader. You can run from beginning to end. It really takes a lot of planning and then enrollment across the organization and truly own it. I think that's a very refreshing mindset, which I, I don't necessarily see it as much in the traditional company. Yeah, of course. It's really going back to this importance of driving accountability within the organization. You know, at the end of the day, in order for companies to thrive, in order for a project to succeed, you have to have somebody that's responsible. You have to have somebody that's taking accountability of what's going on, what's the process, what's the strategy, and also seeing it through execution as well. You know, kind of thinking back, you kind of mentioned about what are the consumers wanting? And you actually mentioned it, that the consumers of wants are constantly evolving. And what's interesting is that spearheaded by the pandemic, amongst others, the definition and perspective of health and wellness has just evolved drastically, especially thanks to the digital age. So how do you see this new version of health and wellness evolving globally? Yeah, no, it is interesting because we are looking at, you know, APAC, Expansion, for example, is one of a pretty important initiative. I think when it comes to a common thread, the fact that everybody's been staring at you know at ourselves over Zoom, there's definitely that common theme about we're much more self-aware what we look like, and you know that you know kind of a first thing to truly think about, right? But at the same time, if you just look at the millennials and Generation Zs around the globe. There's a bigger phenomenon too. You look at Asian market, for example, if you just look at China, there's a lot of article written about, you know, what is this new generation of skin intellectuals, right? Because you think about with disposable income, where do people actually spend? I think there's an element of questioning much more about what's the meaning, you know, what does that mean to have good experience? There's a lot of these thinking that's more or less feels like a global phenomenon. And I think that actually drives quite a bit about how do I take care of myself? How do I take care of myself, you know, mentally, but also, you know, look look great, feel great. It sort of almost go hand in hand. I, I, I do feel like that's a common theme that we're seeing, especially with the younger generation for both APAC, EMEA, and the United States or Americas, especially so, um, but much more prominent, it feels like, in APEC market. And it also feels like they're more willing to innovate and to experiment as well. Is it safe to assume that it really comes down to this notion of having a true global awareness of how cultures are adapting and then also how cultures are adapting to this changing need of consumers? And how consumer trends are essentially shifting as well. And I think one of the the big call-outs that you just mentioned is actually the consumer experience. The experience itself has completely shifted. And it's important for organizations and brands to think about how the experience is shifting and ensuring that ultimately we're meeting where the consumers are instead of the other way around. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you actually raise a really interesting point because if you look at today, there's a lot of emphasis on community, right? And that's one way to making sure truly we're educating the community and really meeting the needs of that consumers. 
You look at company like a Peloton or others, right? So to have that relationship uh, and that also require data flow back and forth because that's the best way to really reinforce and to influence. I think, you know, by the other token, the whole idea of what do you provide to the consumer? You look at a lot of the traditional channel, even if you look at, you know, the hydro facial company, a lot of medical aesthetics, you, I'm sure you're familiar with this as well, kind of goes top down. You work with the service provider. It's very much of a B2B2C model or B2C model, right? I think what make the beauty health company unique, um, and, and you see that across other lines as well, is you truly see everything from the consumer's eyes because an average consumer can be going to 3.5 different places to get their services. So to be so rigid and pushing them to the channel is such a dated concept versus making sure you build that, you know, connectivity and the community and meet them wherever they are and constantly hearing and exchanging the data of what is the latest, what are they looking for, how do you democratize, but at the same time personalize. I think that's unlocking a lot of the consumer business are trying to perform. Yes, definitely. It's something that we're all working towards along the way. The good thing is digital and technology gave us an opportunity to start collecting more data in a, of course, respectful way. And it's important to have that information in mind so that we can actually drive better decisions, better business decisions. You know, thinking about growth, you were recently part of the growth process from hydrofacial to partnering with Vesper to now the beauty health company. Can you share some learnings that you experienced? Yeah, no, it's interesting because, you know, the investors always ask the question, why a SPAC, right? You know, when I was hired back in September, we were planning to go through a IPO process. I think the reality is, you know, when we were entering into conversation with Brent, who's our chairman, you know, he came with such uh, in-depth experience, not only on the consumer side earlier in his career, but also building Allegan, you know, such a machine when it comes to, you know, the pioneer in the medical aesthetic uh, industry. I think the whole, you know, like-mindedness of what he can bring to the table with the network, but also with the wealth of knowledge, it just seems very attractive to us to partner with him. We're not necessarily a traditional, typical, SPAC, right? We're a real business. But because of the way, you know, Brent had approached us and what he bring to the table and the fact that we don't necessarily want to build the biggest company, right? It's actually much more about how do you educate the consumer because skincare is so confusing, especially when you try to bridge the gap between skincare, beauty side of the equation to medical aesthetic, a, a, a bit more invasive or non-invasive. I think that the idea of, again, being in partnership and really learn from each other and build the most influential company is very interesting to us. So that's, I, I think that's a bit of a, a, a biggest learning is as we you know grow as one team and really learning about the marketplace really understand how do you build a platform, how do you build a community, so then you can allow education and communication for the community, then bring other services to the fold. Make a lot of sense. Definitely. I mean, with that said, how would you encourage others to think about strategic partnerships or acquisitions? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. What's really interesting about hydrofacial or beauty health is 
we really call ourselves an end company, right? That's something quite unique to this organization. It just really happened that way in the sense that, you know, it's a company that can introduce so many services into the fold because you already have the relationship with consumer. So I think, you know, in that vein, I come from a traditional M&A mindset, especially working for a lot of private equity firms. Looking at a more of a um, mature company, you really are looking at, oh, are there synergies to be had, right? And is there a way to really, you know, uh, add to the size? There's always going to be a little bit of an element of value engineering um, to some degrees. I think what's really refreshing and interesting about these growth company is the fact that if you truly focus on what you're you know, providing for the consumers, and if you actually feel like you're an end company, meaning you can partner, you can really opening up your channel, there's so much you can learn, right? We actually jokingly say we're a bit of a co-development sort of a company because even by working with partners, if you're being really open, you're happy to making sure, you know, everybody is profitable from this, right? The consumers are, you know, this is democratizing, so it's not a very expensive services, so they get value out of it. The customers have enough of good margin partnership. They get value out of it. And we, you know, collectively as a community feed into this. I think that win-win-win formula is actually really important. So it's to me, it's more like a long-winded way of saying if we cut through all the noise just to say if our end goal is truly provide that experience to the consumer and it's not just so much about winning the pie only if big if your pie actually get that bigger and yet you're sharing with others i think that's a very interesting mindset to again win collectively if that makes sense yes absolutely i'm try- if i can kind of extract some main things that i caught out for that it means it's safe to assume that all in all you need to think about consistency communication and always just focusing on the consumer Absolutely, but then also have an open mind in terms of how and who you partner with. You might surprise yourself, right? Like if you truly see it from the consumer's lens, it doesn't have to be so structured or rigid. Mm, absolutely. You know, think about it from a micro level. Business growth, success, all of these are achieved through the leadership of a high-performing team. And as an executive, as I'm sure you've already faced yourself, you go through so many challenges and obstacles while also needing to balance what happens outside of business as well. In your perspective, how have you seen work-life balance evolve and are there still opportunities for improvement that others should consider trying to achieve? Yeah, that's an interesting question because um, I think fundamentally as a business, the business need to be self-aware, just like as human beings, like we need to be self-aware because I, you know, throughout my career, I joined multiple different companies. They all have very distinctive personalities, right? So I actually think to be self-aware, know what you can bring to the table as an individual. It almost doesn't matter at what level and to find the right tribe or the community, it's actually quite rewarding. So it really does back the question of what does success mean? What does work-life balance mean? If you are experience-centric, you know, I can only see it from my own experience, right? For me, that experience is so rewarding and that constantly learning and fixing and growing along with others is so rewarding. Often work-life balance doesn't really enter into the equation because 
you know, there is a certain degree of you got to protect your own mindset. So if there's personal things you need to take care of, you take care of it, right? Because if you can't um, take care of yourself, you're not going to be in the best place to service the rest of the team or the company. So at least from my own vintage point, I think to be self-aware, understand what makes yourself tick and where do you really bring the most value and then be watch out for what is the right group of people you work with. How do you complement each other to drive whatever the outcome you're trying to drive at? That can be so rewarding at times, you know, living is just part of working, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, your perspective is incredibly refreshing because at times, especially as we become higher within the organization and and we become these uh, top level executives, we get so fixated on trying to help everybody else around us. But the reality is in order for us to help others, we have to be able to help ourselves. So I love your perspective on this. Thank you. Of course. Well, any exciting things coming up that we can expect from you and Beauty Health? You know, we actually, this is a perfect timing, right? We just had our earnings call last week. Uh, We had a pretty incredible quarter, which we were quite proud of. Um, Now, obviously, what's top of mind for us is just pure execution because the fact that we're scaling, right? We're very much focused on continuing to build this community um, and, and making sure it's connected and providing the value to the community, but at the same time, bringing innovation and product to satisfy the community and then also scaling internationally to make sure we can continue to grow and be M&A ready. Uh, since it's part of the strategy. So we were very happy to share the result. And then obviously, um, there's a bit of open and close throughout the entire first half of the year uh, because of the COVID and because of the various geographies. We're seeing that continue, right, with the Delta variant. So it's really more about be mindful, but at the same time, you know, really executing. Absolutely. Well, final question for you. If you could give advice to a young woman that is desiring to be a future entrepreneur, what would you share with them? Yeah, no, I think it's so important to have a dream, right? And to have a vision. I think to marry up, you know, this, again, I emphasize that self-awareness. Some of that takes time. It truly takes experience for you to say, aha, this is actually what drives me. But even at an earlier age, there's always an element of we know what we're really good at, what we're just naturally interested in. And we also know what we've learned that really speak to us. And how do you connect the dots? How do you actually bring the most to the fold? I think the more we're aware, the more, you know, uh, truly focus on the experience itself and knowing you're going to always discover more and you will surprise yourself always. So it's really the optimization between how do you keep it options open and, and, you know, try to get as much experience as possible, but married with sort of, you know, what you're naturally good at and how do you find the right home so that you can contribute more. I think if we can unlock the two, it can be quite satisfying. Well, thank you, Leanne, for your time. And as mentioned, make sure to check out Beauty Health's main brand, Hydrofacial, for a one-of-a-kind experience in beauty health. Looking to hear more about what's happening in the health, wellness, and sports industry? Subscribe to this podcast, and we'll catch you next time on The Drift.